step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This is our common ground. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's just about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person, because ultimately our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And thank you for being with us here on Our Common Ground. It's Saturday night because I'm on the mic and you are there. And thank you so much for being with us tonight because this is Our Common Ground. I want to remind you that you can like us, subscribe us on our Facebook page. And... um, I think people forget to do that. That is how you can support and help us uh, by subscribing and liking. You know, 
one of the things that we have to begin to do, and I talk about it a lot on this show if you are new, is that we have to begin to live the words we speak. And we all clamor about the control by the one percenters, the GOP, the Tea Party, about all of the people who have control over the media and the message. And we look the gift horse in the face and walk away. And when I say gift horse, I'm talking about media that is independent, that works in our interests, that understands intrinsically the issues that we face and the future that we want. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking about fixing our politics. And I tell you, I come to the airwaves, I I know a lot of you are still listening to the Iowa caucus or the whatever is going on in mainstream politics, the politics that has never surfaced uh, in our community in any significant way. And I think that we make a mistake, and we have not particularly done analyzing what our politics are. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, We've got to understand that their politics is not our politics. And all this nonsense about politics is the art of compromise and capitulation. It certainly is. But we're not in that game, or we should not be in that game. If you're new to us, we always ask the question, what is your end game? And tonight, we are going to try to look at how we can begin to transform and change the direction to eliminate our political invisibility. It's really interesting that right before I came on the air, I saw an article, an old article from the Huffington Post, and somebody just got to it, and it was um, 2000. It was an, a news article from 2014, and someone reposted it or thought it was interesting. But it was about um, our president when in 2014, on September 9th, President Barack Obama signed an $8.7 billion food food stamp cut into law. And more cuts followed, uh, cuts to social programs that benefit poor people after that. Now, if that doesn't tell you what game you're in, what game he's in, and how different the games are, I'm not sure how I can help you. But I'm going to try tonight. And I, and I want to say that we have had a number of models uh, that have been important, that we have not learned the lessons. And one of those models established in terms of leadership, political leadership, who is Ella Baker. 
And some of you might not know her, but after tonight, we thank you for joining us. You will. Let me tell you uh, a, a little about her. She played an absolute key role in some of the most influential organizations of the civil and black power era uh in this in in this in in history including the NAACP Martin Luther King's Southern uh Christian Leadership Conference and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee SNCC she sparked change change by unlocking the power of every person to strengthen their communities and shape their futures. And we're going to look at the model that she set forth in her leadership. I have to say to you that I think that Ella Jo Baker, uh, and I should call her Mama Ella Jo Baker, is one of the most prominent and important voices of our time, and she has not gotten her due. Uh, Here's a quote from her. She said, the major job was getting people to understand that they had something within their power that they could use, and it could only be used if they understood what was happening and how group action could counter violence. Now, violence in her time was terroristic physical violence by both the government and white supremacists in this country. It is still in our time. Is not the police the government? Is not the prison system the government? Is not the school system the government? So I'm going to be sharing with you uh, some of her work and talking about her life tonight, but more about the lessons that she taught in her organizing. So I want to share this very quickly with you. And for those of you who are listening on some smart device, you can join our chatters who evidently just came from the debate. And I want to ask um, uh, India Declare of the the I Declare show if she'll turn the lights on in the chat room for me tonight and be my light technician because we're going to have a very clear and concise discussion about what is our politics and what must we do to empower ourselves so that they are effective tools to build our community to secure a future for our children. We can't keep going like this, folks. Our children are dying in the streets, they're dying in the schools, and they're dying by drinking the damn water. And we have not had the power to put the brakes on it. We have not had the power, even by our tax dollars and by our vote. And they're trying to take that and raise the other so that they starve us, suffocate us, strangle us into non-existence. Now, now people are saying to me, well, Janice, non-existence, that's a little bit much. It is not, cannot protect their children's 
minds and bodies. We are in non-existence. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and we are thankful that you are here with us tonight. Ella Jo Baker was born on December 13th in 1903 in Norfolk, Virginia. And she grew up in North Carolina developing a sense for social justice early on, due in part to her grandmother's stories about life under slavery. Baker studied at Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina. As a student, she challenged school policies that she thought were unfair. And after graduating in 1927 as classic valedictorian, she moved to New York City and began then joining uh, social activist organizations. In 1930, she joined the Young Negroes Cooperative League, whose purpose was to develop black economic power through collective planning. She also involved herself with several women's organizations. She was committed to economic justice for all people and once said, People cannot be free until there is enough work in this land to give everybody a job. She began her involvement with the NAAC in 19, NAACP in 1940, and she worked as a field secretary and then served as directors of branches from 1943 until 1946. Inspired by the historic bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama, in 1955, co-founded the organization In Friendship to raise money to fight against Jim Crow laws in the Deep South. In 1957, she moved to Atlanta to help organize Dr. Martin Luther King's new organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. She ran a voter registration campaign called the Crusade for Citizenship, and we'll tell you more about her involvement with SCLC and her pivotal leadership in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. This is our common ground. Friends, brothers, and sisters in the struggle for human dignity and freedom, I am here to represent the struggle that has gone on for 300 or more years, a struggle to be recognized as citizens in a country in which we were born. I had to learn that hitting back with my fist, one individual was not enough. It takes organization, it takes dedication, it takes the willingness to stand by and do what has to be done when it has to be done. A nice gathering like today is not enough. You have to go back and reach out to your neighbors who don't speak to you. And you have to reach out to your friends and get them to understand 
Godmother of the modern civil rights movement because she played a pivotal organizing role for the NAACP, for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and for young black activists in the 1960s. In the summer of 1964, Ella Baker was the keynote speaker at the first convention of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, or MFDP. Baker and other voting rights organizers formed the MFPP to challenge the Mississippi whites-only Democratic Party. Mississippi was one of the deadliest places in the South to fight for racial justice, but Baker was fearless. She convinced a generation of young organizers that the way to force massive change in the racially repressive South was to harness the power of local people. Listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, and Our thank- Common Ground. Thank you, sir. And we thank you for being here with us tonight. L- let, me, let me start this discussion off by by throwing a question out here. And uh, for those of you who would like to join into this open discussion, our number is 347-838-9852. What do you understand about how your politics is defined? There, There are so many people who believe that Okay, I'm politically active. I hold up a sign. Um, I a little here and a little there for candidates of my choice, and I go vote. So I'm a political activist. That is only one of the levels of political activism. Ella Baker said once, in order for us as poor and oppressed people to become a part of a society that is meaningful, the system under which we now exist has to be radically changed. It means facing a system that does not lend itself to your needs and devising means by which you can change that system. That is easier said than done. Thank you, Miss Ella Baker, for that. She was the granddaughter of a slave who was beaten for refusing to marry a man her master chose for her. And from that lesson, 
she became one of the most important characters in the struggle for liberation and justice and freedom for black people in this country. Our number again, 347-838-9852. So I thought of the question out, and I want to inform the question. Tonight we're talking about how we fix our politics. But one of, I think, has been a persistent, consistently persistent problem in political empowerment for black people in this country is that we define our politics so narrowly. We envision our political empowerment on a landscape that is much too broad. You know, oh yeah, we want to go to the Iowa caucus and we want to hear Hillary Clinton talk about what she's going to be as a president and we want to get the burn and we want Donald Trump to fall off the face of the earth and we think Ted Cruz is smart but he's crazy as shit. Excuse me. I hope no children are in the room. And 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 but that is just that is only distracting us from the most important elements of what we need for political power. And that is, as I always say, and Alpha, I see you, we know our local. That does not mean to say that there is, that the equation or the formula doesn't equal an impact on the national level. That is not what it means. I, I, I constantly think about um the uh, the the former senator Ted Kennedy here in Massachusetts and his relationship to uh the speaker of the house the former speaker of the house uh Tip O'Neill they were two people who understood that if they did not articulate if they did not walk the line, stay in the borders of what Massachusetts local voices had to say, they would not survive. There was another uh, example that I wanted to present to you, and that is the example of the former mayor of Boston. What is name? Tom Tom Anino. Tom Menino, as a mayor for 24 years in the city of Boston, understood that he had one loaf of bread, and he had to, as the as the old people in the South, some of you may not might might know about this, had to tinch. That's you know that's a southern. Old Southern, which is the same thing as pinch, off of that loaf of bread and give out a few pieces over here and a few pieces over there and some crumbs over here and some crumbs over there, attempting to keep everybody happy and understanding how those crumbs 
were delivered to the people who would vote for him. When he went to South Boston, he was as Irish as they could be, even to the point where he did the pinch of bread and the Irish jig. When he went to the North End, which is the Italian section of Boston, he sang great arias and pinched off that one loaf of bread. When he went downtown in the financial system uh, uh, community, he took a big tug off that loaf of bread. When he went into the black community, the traditional black community in Boston, he dusted off the crumbs that were left from that loaf of bread, but every, but making everyone feel that they got fed. And one of the things that we have to do in fixing our politics is to understand the history of how we have been so politically disenfranchised in the context of understanding what our politics are. Now, let me, I, I threw out one question, but let me throw out another question which informs that question. And that is, what are the elements of our politics? Let, you know, I know, I, everybody close your eyes, and you got a big piece of paper, 8 by 10, Draw a straight line down the middle. On one side, you've got the features or the components of your politics. And on the other side of the line, for each one of those features, you have to have the ingredients of your politics. I mean, that's even even local. You, we've been living with Barack Obama for seven years now. And um, what really have we gotten from it? We are more poor in this country as black people, our children, than we were in 1952. We are more poor than we were when Barack Obama took office. We have fewer jobs. We own fewer houses per capita. Um, we own less land, and our employment is shaky on two grounds. One, to be hired or to have a job that exists and to be protected against the discriminatory nature of the employment process. Okay. So we've got to look at the factors. One, is economics. The second is education. The third is health. The fourth is housing. And the fifth is really sustainability. The big S word. And the and our current politics, that's working against us. It's absolutely working against us. My very good friend, um, Bob Law and colleague, mentor, had a lot to say about the undergird of why our politics uh, 
are not working for us. And I think that um, we need to really begin to think through what some of those things, and I have a, uh, a clip of him talking and discussing these, but there are some character formations, uh, principles in our politics, I think, that we have not employed or we don't employ effectively to make the other elements of our politics work, the the organizing. But what Ella Baker taught us was that we've got to educate. You know, we all sit in front of our TVs at MSNBC, and we think that that is education. And as an aside note, I'm going to be quoting some stuff from uh, uh, a book uh, by Dr. Lester Spence, who's going to be with us on February 13th, his new book, Knocking the Hustle Against the Neoliberal Turn in Black Politics. But one of the things that we have to begin to understand is there has to be an infrastructure we have to be informed political um, activists. And we have to have an end game. It is not enough to keep voting for the same people. You know, here's the thing that strikes me about how broken our politics are. We have no infrastructure, and when I say our politics are broken, it means that the system of political engagement that works for everybody else, you know, find a good candidate, um, work for the candidate, get the candidate uh, elected, and that candidate goes forward on the agenda for the people that elected him or her. And here's the third question for this broadcast. Why doesn't that work for us? I was struck, and I mentioned it on the air a couple of times. I'm going to mention it again tonight because um, it's worth mentioning over and over. On the second day of the uprising after the murder of Freddie Gray in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Elijah Cummins, who is a sitting representative from that district, was being interviewed on live TV. And it was the first day that he had come to Baltimore. And, and I think it was the third day of the uprising. And my question was, where the hell have you been? But here... Here is what struck me. I was stunned interview because he sounded as though, what he was saying sounded as though he had never been to Baltimore in his life. He had just discovered that Baltimore was there and all these problems existed and he seemed puzzled by the allegations of police brutality dilapidated and substandard housing, insufficient 
transportation and transit systems for black people and the way in which poor black people in the city of Baltimore have been segregated and isolated from the resources of the rest of the community. Our number is 347-838-9852. I do that because people send me email and say I don't give the number enough. Well, there you go. So here here we are in 2016, uh, two days away from the Iowa caucus. And I'm not sure what the Iowa caucus means because whatever the extrapolation of what happens there has no relevance collective and our political impotence. Okay, Um, I, I know a lot of you like to think about, oh, what the GOP is doing and the GOP candidates. I've watched uh, some of the debates. Uh, the the debate, I've watched one of the Democratic debates, and I've watched most of the GOP debates because I like the entertainment of watching Ben Carson. But anyway, um, so here we are trying to master their game. When the benchmarks and everything about it to us, let me let me share something, and I hope that you will join me on uh, February thirteenth when Dr. Lester Spence, author of Knocking the Hustle Against the Neoliberal Turn in Black Politics, and it is the featured book of Our Common Ground for February. This is what he said. What he writes, he says, before I do this, I I, I do want to get back to Elijah Cummins. I think that he is typical of who we put in office and who we don't take out when it's time to take them out. When something doesn't, I mean, here, okay, here is one of the principles that I learned from Ella Jo Baker. When something doesn't work, You stop doing it because every political act that we undertake comes from a very limited resource and capacity of political action. So if it's not working, we shouldn't do it anymore. You all know I have been saying for 30 years on the air, keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting. And that is what has happened to us, in my opinion, politically. Our number is 347-838-9852. And I really am interested in having a, a conversation with somebody about this. But listen to what Dr. Lester Spence um, about our politics. He writes, Ronald Reagan transferred, transformed the way we think Think about government, and this not only affected the Republican Party, it affected the Democratic Party. Every Democratic president we've elected since Reagan 
has promoted neoliberal ideas and policies. It wasn't a Republican who ended welfare. It was Bill Clinton. And he shows in another chapter that George W. Bush helped neoliberalize public education, and he cites um, uh, Bush's, George W. Bush's program, No Child Left Behind. And he points out that President Barack Obama continued rather than stop the attempt to neoliberalize public education with his Race to the Top program and Arnie Duncan, who definitely did not work. He writes, over the past few years, a number of people with progressive politics have begun to tout GoFundMe and Kickstarter as ways to sidestep the significant lack of resources activists often have to pursue political uh to pursue polit- progressive political ends he makes note that the gofundme and the kickstarter which you know black lives matter used and uh, moveon.org used and color lines used to he, he notes that These applications and others like them require individuals to treat their cause as if it were an economic product and their personal network as a potential market. He goes on to say on this this subject, as inequality increases the number of societal losers, individuals who can't make ends meet, who simply cannot succeed on society's terms, try as they might, also increases the public policy developed to deal with these populations becomes increasingly punitive, increasingly cordoning off these populations from the rest of society, increasingly reducing the resources they have access to, increasingly forcing them to undergo government surveillance and control in exchange for those few resources they receive and increasingly leaving them to die when they are unable to behave, quote-unquote, responsibly, increasingly exposing populations to pain and suffering and thereby... Thank you, Dr. Spence. And thereby, we are now a people with such limited resources that we cannot protect our children. We cannot protect their bodies. We cannot protect their minds. How did we get here, and how the hell do we fix the politics of getting out of it? You know, we've got to stop buying into the idea that somehow this is all our fault. Oh, you know, you know, you know how you all go um, to parties and talk about, oh, it's all our fault. Black people need to do better. Black people need to do this. If more black people stop smoking cigarettes, they wouldn't get sick. If more black people stop getting old, they wouldn't die. I, I mean, 
we go through a lot of nonsense because we are willing to give up our people rather than to give up the illusion that we are viewed in this society as a problem. Whether you own a house or a car, have a job, and your children go to private school, you are still viewed as a problem. Let's take a look at what Bob Law had to say about this. Making progress. Black people are at the losing end of the racial gap. Black people have the highest unemployment, the lowest median family income, the highest debt, the lowest graduation rate from public schools, the highest incarceration rate, and it goes on and on and on. So that you, you, at one point you have to say, we need to pause for a minute and look at what is really happening to our people. And we need to kind of get our ducks in a row. And by that, that's what I meant by let's get serious. Let's, let's stop playing. You know, let's, let's stop celebrating symbolic victories. Emma Calca Brown, I believe it was, who said, claim no easy victories. We need to stop claiming these easy victories that are not victories at all. You know, we look at, uh, in the article, I point out that um, in, in 1960, there were 103 black elected officials throughout the nation. By 1990, that number had grown to 9,000. But as, you, as we move into the year 2014, however, all the social comfort indicators show that the political and economic status of African Americans continues to, to decline. We, we, and at the same time, we have more black elected officials than ever, but we require nothing of them other than that they get elected to office. See, for black people, getting elected to office has been the goal. And and uh, we celebrate being the first black somewhere. You know, we celebrate being the first black president of uh, the McDonald's organization, the first black president of American Express, the first black, or that there is a black president of uh, AOL. There's a black president, as I say, of McDonald's. There's a black president of the United States. There's a black borough president in Brooklyn. And the supporters of the black borough president in Brooklyn simply point out that the, the black borough president has made history by becoming the first black borough president of Brooklyn. See, if you get serious, you will say that being the first black president of the borough of Brooklyn means absolutely nothing. That Amen. The, the being the first black so what? There have been black borough presidents in Manhattan. Black borough presidents have existed since the early 60s with Hugh and Jack. You know, the Democratic machine gives the black the borough presidency to Hugh and Jack, Percy Sutton, C. Virginia Fields, Helen Marshall. This is not the first black borough president. It's just the first black borough president in Brooklyn. means the, to be the first in Brooklyn is meaningless. What we need is, that's not what you celebrate, being the first. Because, see, by celebrating being the first, then black people are emotionally gratified simply by the fact that a brother 
has been appointed, if not elected, but really appointed borough president of Brooklyn. And that in itself is enough. There's a, a Letitia James, a city council member, mm-hmm. is the first. She's now public advocate. And, she, and her supporters point out that she has made history. She's the first black woman to be elected to citywide office. Listen, for blacks, just getting the candidate elected has always been victory enough. But when you begin to look around and study politics and look at politics seriously, and you begin to understand that, you know, uh, as I say in the article, once you place voting in proper perspective, most groups that are engaged in politics now understand that it is not the winning of office for its own sake that is important. Elections are only a means to the true end. Politics is about owning and controlling the resources that control our lives. Just being elected is not, that's not the end. But for us, that has been the end. For other groups, getting elected has been the beginning. That's where we start. Once we get elected, then we begin to move on implementing a political agenda. So when the, uh, borough, when, when, when the mayor is elected, Giuliani is elected, um, Koch, then Giuliani, when they are elected, that's when they get busy. They, they got elected in order to privatize the city. They're looking at the demographic changes. They think that the city is going to be predominantly black and brown. They think that ultimately there's going to be a black or Latino mayor of New York City, and, those, and, and, and the black or Latino mayor might really have a political agenda. So to protect ourselves from that is everything. We'll enter into a 90-year contract so that the Board of Education is no longer a city agency. It's now run by a private organization. To everything, everything is privatized. That is part of the agenda. But for black folk, simply getting elected exactly. has been sufficient. Exactly. And that is what we're saying we have, to, we have to change. We have to get serious. We have to stop celebrating meaningless uh, achievements like being the first black. See, there's a black president of, of the McDonald's organization, the food people. Well, the black president of McDonald's does not, and we do all kind of things, candlelight vigils. And, and ahead, see, my, <laughs> my concern is that that is all right with us. See, we yeah. have normalized. Yeah. Yeah. See, we have normalized powerlessness. So we can mm-hmm. have black folk mm-hmm. who are in these prestigious positions, and some have remarkable titles of vice president for global diversity, you know, and, and, and multicultural <laughs> management and stuff like that. I mean, that's a real Correct. title, Vice President for Global Diversity. What in the world is that? And But <laughs> having real power doesn't mean anything for us, not enough. Uh, and, and so what we have, without perhaps without realizing it, we have normalized powerlessness. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You know, uh, and I think uh, my dear uh, colleague and friend Kermit Edie, uh for his um, clip from his program where Bob Law 
my colleague and mentor, uh, radio mentor, was um, was discussing this whole idea. Because if we grasp the idea that we're uh, our focus, our attention, our energies. You know, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here. So, you know, I, I but I do want to say that for the last seven years, we have lost so much political empowerment in our community because we have rested on the laurels of the election of an African-American president. We have spent far too much of our leverage in the notion, the idea, the romanticism, the emotional imprisonment of our brains that we have not used our leverage. Do you realize that 90% of all the black people who voted for uh, in in the election to elect President Barack Obama his first term were African 92% of all African Americans who cast a vote. And what we miss, and here's the boat that we miss. The boat that we miss was to leverage that before he even hit the second campaign to ensure that our interests were being served. Yeah, he's a good-looking man. He's got some cute kids, and his wife is absolutely gorgeous and brilliant. Our children can't build a future from that. Our children cannot build a future. We cannot transform the educational system that is stifling our children so that in 2030 they are declared illiterate. Understand what I'm saying? Um, this whole idea of that that Lester Spence talks about, and I'm going to be talking with him in depth about how neoliberalism has also contributed and been a major um, attribute in the atrophy and impotence of whatever political empowerment we had coming into after suffering through George W. Bush and then and now we are talking we are having arguments in our community about whether or not we're going to support Hillary Clinton 
uh, Bernie Sanders that so many of you never even heard of until he decided to work for president. We're going to take a break, and I'm going to tell you what this number is because I'd like to talk to you about these things. 347-838-9852, what part of the poli- what part of our pol- politics are you going to decide that you're going to be a participant in fixing? That's another question. This is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. I like the way you work it, jump back all day, every day. I went to St. Louis, Missouri the other day at Black Panther's Mall of the Country. No one knew about it at all. They had machine guns, recoilless rifles, grease guns. Lugas, 25 of them, all armed. And the chief of police met me at the airport when I arrived, and they were there, right there at the steps. He said, you were violating the law. Yeah, we're violating the law. He said, we're tired of our white and black leaders, Jackie and Martin and Bobby, being killed. We're going to protect this man while he's here. And they didn't arrest one of them. Because they said, if you arrest one then someone's going to die because we are ready to kill. Black power means black dignity. Just as surely as you are proud to be white, we're proud to be black. Black is beautiful, baby. It's pretty. I always say to my uh, brothers, I say, baby, don't worry about the white chicks. We got everything from chalk to charcoal in our own race. You know, see? Black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. Black power means dignity. It means we're going to walk side by side with you or through you. We're going to be with dignity and integrity. We don't want any more than you have, and we're not going to accept any less than you have. That's black power. You're blowing my mind, maybe in time. Baby, I can get you in my ride. I like the way you work it. It's not getting old that makes you depressed. It's the other things. You've lost interest in life. Everything is going on around you. You're not connecting with anyone. But you don't say anything because if you burden your family, you think you'll lose them. Everything is grey. This feeling is with you all the time, but helping someone through depression isn't beyond you. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real raw, right now. If it's real raw right now, talk media. Come on, baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Join my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your real, raw, and right now talk radio. I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Dealing with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show, baby. Even we believe and 
because you can see by example, she was someone who both inspired you, role of leadership, right? Provided guidance by her actions and in conversation. But she's like a jazz musician. that She's antiphonal. It's a call and response. She's in conversation. She's not pontificating from above. She's having conversation on a horizontal level. And that's genuine leadership. But it's a different kind of leadership than Martin being charismatic and out there. But for me, there is no Martin King's movement without an Elder Baker's intelligence, imagination, and courageous witness. <laughs> Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You're tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Broadcasting black, bold, and brilliant. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Daddy, what that there? And why that under there? And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, Daddy, hey, look it over there. Hey, what they doing there? And where they going there? And Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? And we thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. We really um, want to make sure that we mix and get you to understand the the foundation in which Ella Baker has set the tone for what has to happen for political empowerment. Um, she was one of the visionaries who created the Christian uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1957, and I want to tell you she didn't join uh, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King. She recruited him into this organization. She served two terms as the SELC's acting executive director, but she clashed with Dr. King feeling that he controlled too much and in others too little. Interesting. Very interesting. In 1960, when four black students in Greensboro, North Carolina, were refused service in a university cafeteria, setting off sympathetic sit-ins across the country, it was Ella Baker who seized the day starting with student activists at her alma mater of Shaw University, she founded the Nationwide Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which gave young black people, including women and the poor, a major role in the civil rights movement. You may remember uh, when... Um, uh, Prior to her death, Florence Tate, uh, who is an Our Common Ground witness from the bridge, it was with Florence Tate that Ella Baker served as a field director with the NAACP. In 1964, um, Miss Baker, Mama Baker, returned to New York City 
and work for human rights until her death. And the song that you have heard here tonight uh, are words that she wrote that was put into music by Sweet Honey and the Rock, We Who Believe in Freedom Cannot Rest. This is our common ground. Thank you for being with us. Our number is 347-838-9852. Please don't forget, when you receive our notices for our broadcast, if you would share them with your Facebook, Twitter, Facebook friends and Twitter peeps and uh, place them on your website if if you have the mind. And when in doing so, and for those who do it consistently, thank you so much for that. I do want to tell you that if you would like to learn more about uh, uh, Mama Ella Baker, uh, the Ella Baker Center for Human Human Rights is at ellabakercenter.org, and you can find a lot of her interviews and um, media and resources about her life. Uh, And I think that we have to build on her legacy uh, that our creative juices have to flow from the spirit because it was Ella Baker who taught us that we have to educate first, Agitate. Educate, organize, agitate. Educate, organize, agitate. And that was the key, I believe, in in how she was able to so effectively organize students and move students, student act, activism in a way that brought about change. Right now, we're not bringing about any change, and that's part of the the fix that we have to put to our politics. And I'm asking you, there is no one out there under the banner of injustice that does not recognize how injustice is working in our village, whether it be education, health, I mean, um, I don't know if, uh, I don't remember whether in the clip that I paid, played from uh, Bob Law, but Bob Law does a lot of talking about health care and health care delivery disparities. He talks about how we die more from, from breast cancer, black women die at a higher rate from breast cancer, black men die from a higher rate for prostate cancer, that... Somehow our medical system has, has, has capitulated to providing a poor le- level of service, even to black people who have the same kind of insurance as those who get better service. Doctors spend more time. Nurses pay attention when people are hospitalized. There are not as many, quote-unquote, accident in hospitalizations or when emergency um, emergency personnel have to be called to an accident or to a shooting. I, I, I don't get it. Here is another way in which you can um, 
envision the kind of impotence politically we have. Uh, and you got to get this book, Knocking the Hustle, because Dr. Lester Spence really gets into the idea how how neoliberal, which is really an illusion, how neoliberal politics has impaired and adversely impacted our community. Uh, he gives one of the examples. He he one of the examples he gives is the Philadelphia School Committee, um, uh, school department, and how, and 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 Mayor Nutter Nutter, and how even when black people are in charge, the crap goes left. Another emergency receivership kind of of. Um, Arrangement went on in Philadelphia, and it ended up that damn near a hundred schools were closed that served that served primarily black children. And 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 here's another example of our political atrophy. We know that our children achieve academically so much better when they are exposed to our history, and they get an idea beyond who uh, George Washington Carver was or beyond who Martin Luther King was, that they get a true sense of their history and their responsibility and obligations to that history. But we got school systems all across this country that do no, nothing about black history except for Black History Month. That's a political factor. That's because we have people who are sitting in the chairs of mayors, have city council, town councils, whatever you could, city commissions, whatever you want to call them. Black people who are not standing up in our interests and white people who won't if they even if they understood how they could interesting piece of information interesting perspective there's this guy called Reg Clark or Ron Clark in Atlanta he has a charter school and he has these big functions where the kids are really learning I, you know, I'm not taking anything away from that, and but they're doing all this dancing, and he dances with them, and they have these productions. I don't know what the hell's going on there, but anyway, people seem to be enjoying it all together. Another teacher, uh, now Reg, Reg or Ron Clark in Atlanta is white. In Cleveland, an, a black teacher decided that he was going to employ the same kinds of things and he was showing his students some kind of dance. He was fired. But Reg Clark, he gets awards. What the hell is up with that? Another example, and I see Brother Brock up in the chat room and I want to thank everybody who's joined us in the chat room. Um, um, This... The situation out in Oregon, some people call it Oregon, 
Some people call it Argon. I don't care. It's out in the in the damn West with the militia. These people came with guns, and they threatened federal law officials, including the FBI. They took over a federal building. I don't care if it was out in the middle of nowhere. It's like going to – can you imagine – a group of people with guns saying dead or alive, some some hot mess cowboy crap. Can you imagine? It is the same thing as if they had gone to New York City and gone into the Chavis Federal Building and taken it over. How many weeks did those people sit in there? Two weeks. Before anybody did anything, and only one person is dead, and that was a mistake. That is the atrophy, the the consequences of atrophied and impotent black politics. Did you hear anybody from the black caucus? Did you hear anybody in your own city? Did you hear anybody? Did you hear anybody? What? Let me ask you a question. Tamir Rice in Cleveland, 12 years old, mur- assassinated in a park by two police officers within two seconds of arriving. Are they in jail? Did anyone on your school board, in your political power circle, in where you live, write any editorials about how that is prevented in the place where you live? In Black History Month, are there teachers, principals, superintendents, members of the school board writing editorials to editorials or uh, uh, open letters to the public to talk about the need for black history curriculum in public schools. No, uh, you know why? Uh, because even in the sacred liberal, the liberal sacred cow, Massachusetts, taken over. They are failing, but they are taking over, and there is legislation now to create more opportunities to drain off the public resources for most of the charter schools, spend more money in renting buildings and hiring high-paid See, See, this is all a game. This is all the political game. So my, my, if we continue as we are about this charter school takeover and race to the top and no child left behind and our children are left behind. Teachers for public edu- for private religious education, parochial education with your tax dollars, 
and you don't get a say. That is the impotence. So I think that our politics are broken and there are ways in which we can fix it if we have the heart. The first thing that we have to do is we have to start putting all of this in the context of asking the question, am I a valid authentic taxpayer. And if I am, does my tax dollar count and does my vote count? You know you know how you ended up with the crazy the the your house of representatives is simply a loony bin. It's a loony bin when it comes to anything other than corporate interests and white people. White people who want pay less taxes and white people who want to regulate so that they can maintain sustain their billion-dollar status. I mean, if you look at it, and I hate to even call his name, Donald Trump has people whose interest that he has actively, aggressively, worked against. He's got them people ready to vote for him because they want to make America great. And my question to you about fixing this politics is, can we make black people great again? I know all there are some of you out there who have um, parents my parents, had they lived, would be over 100 years old. But both of them would be appalled at what we have lost. Now, let's talk about how we begin. You all got to read this book, Knocking the Hustle. Knocking the Hustle has given us some answers. The first thing that we have to begin to believe is that our tax dollars do count and our votes do count. But that is only one piece. Those are only two pieces of the puzzle. The first piece of the puzzle, as Ella Baker so eloquently in her life showed us, is to educate. If we are not educating poor people in our community about what all this crap that is going on means, about why they are struggling. You know, I was talking to my good friend and and sister uh, mentor, um, Mae Jackson, who is a longtime 
activists from Harlem. And May has spent her entire adulthood working on issues of women and prison. There's, there's nothing new. There's nothing. There is nothing new under the sun that's coming at us. Talking about the need to have support programs for children who are who who's, who have parents who are incarcerated. Those children are learning just by breathing that black people are bad, that their parents are bad, that they can't depend on anybody, that they're going to always be lost and lonely. Those are the children who have to go to prisons and visit their parents. And we sit back and we let the state have half-ass, raggedy-ass programs that do nothing for them, but our tax dollars just go down the goddamn black rabbit hole. You ought to be angry. I know I'm angry. Number is 347-838-9852. Um... So that's one area that is deeply impacted, affected by whatever our broken or fixed politics are going to be. And what does that do? Where is where is that political landmark? It's at the state. It's at the police. And it's at the city hall who makes the rules for the police. You see, you see the columns. You see the columns. You got to make those, and you got to do those for for everything that you care about, that's in your interest, and about the resources. Is a reason why there are not jobs in this country. Because they're all going offshore, overseas. So here we come to the political economics. Poor people cannot feed their children if they do not have a job. But we're seeing more and more poor people being punished and suffering because they need the resources of public assistance, for which your tax dollars are being. But there are people who are hell-bent increasing the punishment. So you've got all these legislators running around in all these states and at the local level, uh, at, at the state level, trying to control who gets public assistance and what they have to do in order to get it. Imagine for a minute that you have three children. You are a single mom. You get so much public assistance for housing, for family operation, and for food. And some clown is telling you that for the 
$900 check you get every month. You got to go out and volunteer if you can't find a job, which means that you got to spend 300 of that $900 paying child care. We don't have the infrastructure to move forward to challenge that reality for so many of our brothers and sisters. I'm going to take a call at 610. 610, you're on the air. 610, thank you for your call. And thanks for having the show. Uh, Brother Brock, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I liked him when you said PA. I love when you say Philadelphia, PA. Yes, indeed. Good to hear from you, Brother Brock. I am I am so dead in a headache from what are we gonna do, Brother Brock? Uh since we don't have the infrastructure as far as in a large mass group, although we should by now, we don't, then we need to do the easiest thing to do, which is boycott. Now, boycott is hard mentally for most people, but physically, you just turn around and don't spend your money here, don't spend your money there. It's just that too many people fail to connect the dots as to how serious of a message a boycott can do. And you can do it without violence. That's why Ella Baker is so important. The lessons... And the ideology of of Ella Baker is so important because the first thing she said, step one is to educate. One of the reasons that we were not, we have not been successful is because we have not done the appropriate education at the appropriate levels block by block in our community. Let's take, for example, when we're asking people to boycott corporations that supported ALEC. Remember that? Yes. We needed to have done homework to find out all the different products ALEC supports. Exactly. Education part. Education part is do your homework first, see who they're supporting, see what politicians are supporting Alec and what laws those politicians put in place that hurt us, and then boycott that. So, yes, there was and is a large amount of homework, but it's easy for that homework to be done just for whatever reason. Let's talk about the homework. It's not getting done. Let's talk about the homework for a minute. Whose responsibility is it to do the homework? Uh, I don't. I, I, I be. I don't want to say it's. I, I should say it's our responsibility to do the homework. Yes, but it is. When also you say our, who are you talking it's, about? It's it's, it's 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 whoever our leaders are is their responsibility to promote the homework that has been done then it's our responsibility to f- to follow through with the homework assignment. So just like if I go to, you know, all the time I go to the school board meetings or the, or the borough council meetings, 
I, I, you can't expect me to do everything. If, if somebody fails, I can't go and do their job. I go to support what they're trying to do. I, I, I protest against some of the things they fail to do, but don't expect me to do my job uh, 50, 60 hours a week and then go up and do their job. We put people in office to do the work. So if they drop the ball, don't come back and blame us, the common layperson, the citizen, for not doing their job. Well, but, but, so, but, so. but here, here's the deal. On the ALEC boycott, <coughs> excuse me, it would seem to me that if we had elected officials and a political party that served our interests, that found yes. our interests a priority. Every democratically, every dem, every every member of the Democratic Party who was elected by black people had the responsibility to send out a letter to dear constituents. I'm not asking you this time to donate to my campaign or to elect me. I'm asking you to read this so that you understand what the hell is going on in this country. Here are 15 companies for which you probably are a consumer. This is what they are doing, and this is how it hurts you. We're asking you Mm -hmm. to boycott their asses. That's that's my point. They do the homework, and we support the homework. We do the assignment by doing what they ask us to do. This and and they're not doing that. And that's right. That's, so we've got to, you problem. know, like I've known John Lewis. I met John Lewis when I was fourteen years old. And uh, actually, John Lewis was probably my first date because I went with him to a Stevie Wonder concert. In St. Louis. Uh, okay. But I, I, you know, and and I like him as a person. I like Barack Obama as a person. But we got to call them out. It's time for John Lewis to resign. It's time for Elijah Muhammad to uh, Elijah Elijah Cummings Coming. to resign. It's time. We need to put the list together and say, here are the people who have. Died in place. We got to do it. If we don't, I mean, that's only one part of it. To me, that's the education part. We're not trying to hurt anybody. I mean, if John Lewis doesn't run the next time, he's still going to get a lifetime Retirement, lifetime health insurance, lifetime whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then we have to inform people about who we need. What kind of resources do we need? And maybe boycotts will then work. Because even the boycott for Black Friday and the boycott for, I mean, the boycott for Trayvon Martin and the boycott for Black Lives Matter and the boycott for this and that, it's not working because well, the, the, the Black the Black uh, Friday boycott didn't work. We should have done it even more this last year, and we didn't. The first year, last year, which was uh, Black Lives Matter boycott Black Friday, 
that was very successful. It, just, it was a huge dent in the overall national picture, down 10% uh, November what, 26th, I guess it is, Black Friday, right after Thanksgiving, whatever that Friday, Saturday is. However, yeah, we did not follow through successful. over Christmas and did not follow through this year like we should. Yeah, there Some were reports that, it. There were reports that sales were down, but they never really connected it to the Black Friday. And that's only boycott. because of national news, mainstream news is never going to make the advocate look good. Never going to yeah. push pump up the protester. They're always going to uh, divide and conquer us that way. But we know yeah. for a fact it was. It's just that not enough people jumped on board this year and continued the process. We heard yeah, the message, but, especially after the the 20-year Million Man March, that was the message. So we, 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 we got the call and call again, but we didn't double down like they do. We should have doubled yeah. down and it should have been twenty, thirty percent of a boycott on Black Friday. But it goes. It it also goes to the condition of our political Ooh. actualization right now. Um, we really don't have an infrastructure for political activism, and one of the reasons that I'm doing this 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 broadcast tonight is to talk about how we educate how we organize how we um at uh how we uh educate how we organize and how we agitate you know for instance brother brock i really believe i don't know and and i'll ask you your thoughts about it i really believe that black lives matter was doing a very good job at agitating but they forgot the other two elements that Ella Baker so eloquently laid out for us in uh, as a field guide. The education part? The education part and the organizing part. And organizing? Yeah. So... Um, but but let me ask you at 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 in in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, there are I li- you know I lived in Philly, right? Yes, I'm I lived you, everywhere. You work with the uh, with the Black Talk Radio out here as well. I, 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 I lived out in Bryn Mawr, yeah. but I worked in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But I, you know, I got heavily involved in my sorority and a couple of other organizations in Philadelphia and I knew some people uh who were politically uh who were political activists in Philadelphia and you know I wasn't there for but for a minute but um so I I think that we have to first educate all these hundreds of little organizations here and there I mean as it as and and for those of you who are listening on a local level, if you think that you or someone you know has the ability to provide political education, pick up the phone and call some churches and say, hey, Reverend so-and-so, you know, right after church, I know you usually have some candidates, but I'm a candidate for educating our community. And can you give me 15 minutes with your 
your congregation. Um, contacting the organizations. All you know, part of the problem is this is like Facebook. I cannot belong to all them damn groups. I can't read all that stuff every day. And then people disappear on your your friends on Facebook because they're in all these groups. Uh, yeah, you. I know you're listening to me, but um. You know, and I just can't keep up with all of that. And that's what has happened in our communities. We have, you know, you and your friends, because you don't like me, you go over and start your own organization, and then you do, Yeah, you know, it, it's it's the fragmentation of the infrastructure, uh, which has destroyed so much of our viability as political activists. Spread ourselves so, too thin. Yep. So what we have to do is we have to somehow reconcile the seats of power. You know, it's the first principle of of the Inguza Saba, Umoja, unity. Unity is not about liking and agreeing. It's about pulling our resources together as a unit. So, you know, I'm I'm just one of the things that somebody's got to help me about because I I I just think that um I even have friends brother Brock in the radio business. Uh people who used to come on this show a lot who you can't get to come on the show because they're so busy trying to build their own fiefdom. You see what I'm saying? Build their own system, you said? Fiefdom. Network. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so um I I just I just think that in places like Philadelphia when all that stuff went down about the the public school system, yeah, yeah, nutter, well, they brought they brought in they brought in a new person uh, yes. from Chicago, I believe it was, and uh-huh. he's Duncan. been saving grace. Mm-hmm. And no, not only not only Duncan, he no, was, um, no, national. but I'm saying, no, yeah. no, I'm saying Arnie Duncan, Arnie Duncan was was the source of information about where to go to get the person, and Nutter wanted to have a connection into the White House. Yes. That's okay. what that was about. And if you all want to call it a conspiracy, call it a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Obama we, we... knew that he wanted his Race to the Top program. All the charts. It's not working either. Yeah, that's right. How oh, many charts? Too many, too many, too many, too yes. many. We, we, it's, I, I mean, and, and, and because that's, the money and that's gets nothing, split, the money gets that's split. That's nothing it's no, you but know, another think, effort to resegregate both resources and children. Because you yeah. know the. So we, you know, it's it, it just, and then. The other question in terms of political impotence is the level, the quality level of education. Most charter schools are hiring people who have no 
classroom experience. Teachers who have no classroom. They don't. They don't need the same. They don't need the same. They don't have the same guidelines or regulations. Whether That's it's right. with the staff and whether it's with the actual school, the physical yeah. building. And yep. people don't want to realize the money comes from the same source. So if you had ten dollars going to the public school system, now you have six going to the public school, mm-hmm. two going to charter public school, and two going to magnet and or uh, internet uh, cyber school. So you know, all of them are public schools. It's just the money being divided and taken away from one entity as opposed to building that one entity up stronger. Now you're just, mm-hmm. you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're pitting mm-hmm. me against you. Uh, yes, people want change. Some people want um, 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 uh, more more of uh, choices. But if, if that's the case, create another source for the money to come from. Now you can have all the choices you want. You know, That's the right. government and, and, and white corporate America, they knew what they were doing. We're going to act like we're helping these people out. Meanwhile, it's going to create more division and more fight. Yep, yep. And it's, it's pathetic. But, it is just pathetic. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, you got any closing remark you want to make? Uh, just on the, 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 the quickly, when you mentioned the the, the, the President Barack Obama, since he's been in office seven and a half, seven years, has our culture done better or worse? And uh, I already put in the chat room, you know, unfortunately, you know, Tavis Smiley came out with his report. Yeah, that I showed saw that. For a fact, showed for a fact we've been declining in every yep. single category. So, unfortunately, category. too too many of us are still emotionally tied to him being, uh, um, uh, you know, whether it's handsome or, or debonair or, or charismatic, whatever the yeah. reason is, people don't want us, our people don't want to just say, damn it, you know, we are failing under his tutelage. Now, I'm not saying it's his fault, whether he had the, the, the bad Congress or we didn't come out to vote 2010, 2012, whatever the answers are, the fact is we have declined. So yes. just 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 look at the numbers and say, damn it, stop talking emotion and and fix this shit. And that's not yeah. and we're not doing that. So that's my closing yeah. argument. We we busy talking about too busy talking about in my estimation, we're too busy talking about white supremacy and we're not in translating it, interpreting it, it in the in the context of um the consequences are the the results. Thank you, Brother Brock, Talk so much. I'm, I'm I'm really pleased to have you with us tonight. It's Brother Brock of Philadelphia, PA. We'll be uh, right back. We refuse to practice group economics. We refuse to practice group politics. So I'm just about to conclude and give you most of my points now, but you got to learn how to play this game. But your strength rests with your blackness. And what I want you to do is quit listening to what people tell you. Don't do what people preach. Don't do what people what say and teach. Do what people do. With all these other groups, only buy from their own people, you buy from your own people. When they build communities like Chinatown, Frenchtown, Germantown, Polishtown, Greektown, Koreatown, little Cambodia, little Saigon, little Cuba, little Havana, little Italy, you all do the same thing. And buy from your own people and keep your money in your own community and make it bounce eight to 12 times. 
Hispanic money in this country bounces six to seven times. White money bounces eight to twelve times. Arab and Asian money bounces twelve to thirteen. I mean, thirteen to fourteen times. Jewish money bounces eighteen times. Black money doesn't bounce once. Keep your money in your own community with your own people and buy from you and support your own people. That is not racist. It's self-survival. It's learning how to survive. And if a black person doesn't have all the stuff you want, go in and buy from him anyway. It's called cost-benefit analysis. Tell you something, I'm going to buy from you, but I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I'm going to buy now. Yes, your bread is hard. Now it's not as fresh as I want it to be. I'm going to buy it. But I'll tell you what, you've got six months to come in and clean it up and get a better product. Tell all the other blacks to buy from him. If he doesn't have any money, he can't improve the services and quality of the product. <laughs> buy from your people. Support them. And the last thing I want to tell you about right now is that we're going to, uh, that we, our seafood operation is up now. And, uh, and some of you may know about that. <laughs> we, we, built, we built the first seafood industry in the United States for black folk. Why? Because I want black folk to learn how to build based on their own competitive advantages. Go back to your strength, to your blackness. Black folk right now are, are some of the strongest people on earth in certain things. We are strong physically. We produce the music of the earth. You know, we are the strongest athletes. We got, it's only, we got only a certain kind of hair. Everything that's peculiar to blackness, you must go in and dominate and control it and build businesses around it. You should not be going let other people take care of your hair and your nails and your own operation. We, we buy, more, we buy more, more leather than anybody else and wear more leather. We should be running the leather industry in the United States. We spend 43% of all the money in this country that's being put on scotch and liquor, for example. I'm not telling you all to drink, but I'm just telling you as an example. We spend, we spend about 43% of all the theater ticket money, but we don't own not one theater in the country. And in seafood, the reason I went into seafood is because we spend $9 for every $1 white spend, and we eat two to three times more seafood than whites. And I said, that's an industry we must learn how to control and build on. So we got our factory up now on the East Coast. And we're up already now. We're already one of the biggest seafood produ uh, fish producers now in about two states. We are going to break ground in about the next three or four weeks on our second building. The second building goes up. We'll be, the, we'll be either number two or number three biggest fish producer in the entire United States. Okay? And the plans after that is that we're going to wait about another two years and we'll be doing it. We're going to be enlarging our building, putting up another 280,000 square feet. So what we're talking about is in terms of space, if you all want to know, that's about like about 10 or 12 football fields in size. And uh, we raise all of our fish in clean water. No bacteria, no worms, no lead, no mercury, no PCB. If you all want all that stuff, you've got to buy somebody else's fish. We don't have that. And uh, our, our fish is raised in clean water tanks same drinkable, potable water, right from the spring water out of the ground. We raise our fish from, from a minnow to a, to a pound and a quarter fish in about seven to eight months, and uh, we sell our fish into the live fish market. We do not compete with the dead fish that's coming into the United States. About 80% of all, 89% of all the fish coming into the United States now is coming in from Latin America or from, from Asia. Most of it's being raised in sewer water. In time, baby, I can get you in my ride. 
the way you work it. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I like the way you work it. No diggity. No Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you each Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. And I want to tell you about a couple of things that's going on. Uh, we are looking forward to uh, having... Uh, Dr. Lester Spence to talk with him about his new book, Knocking the Hustle Against the Neoliberal Turn in Black Politics, on February 17th. He'll be with us. And don't forget, I know some of you have not finished your reading that the December Our Common Ground book choice was Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And in Jan- the January book was The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. I tell you, I have really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoy, I'm, I'm in my second reading of um, uh, Wilkerson's book, The Warmth of Other Suns. It's the epic story of America's great migration. It's It really isn't enough to understand some of the, political machinations, the legislation, and the history without having the personal stories of the people who lived in that history. And that's what this book is, The Warmth of Other Sons. Uh, I am um, interesting um, sharing this book with my granddaughter, who she borrows it during... Uh, from Sunday to Wednesday, and then I get it from Wednesday to 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 Saturday, uh, and it's a good way. And we mark out uh, the number of pages we're going to read, and we we're reading it together. Um, she's not listening tonight because uh, I know she's not listening tonight, but I am have already ordered her her own copy. Um, so that she can um, add it to her library. The other thing that I wanted to tell you about, but I couldn't find it, is that I read an article. You you know that I am a huge, huge fan of um, Octavia Butler, uh, the wonderful science fiction, uh, Afrofuturism author. And uh, she would have been 70 70 years old this year on her birthday, Uh, but for the untimely, her untimely death. She's just a great science fiction writer. And um, um, I just... um, read a couple of days ago that the state of Washington going to be holding an Octavia Butler uh, 
celebration for one entire year. That's how important she is. If you don't know her, you really should know who she is and you should enjoy some of her books. Um, I have a couple of her books that I read at least annually. Um, And I know that um, Logan Michelle Odom is in our chat room tonight and she has a book club that she manages, a very good book club, and they do their book club meetings on um, Google Hangout. I've attended a couple of them, and they have been reading the works. I think the Parables of the Sour. Is that right? Michelle, type up something in the chat room so I know what I'm talking about. Uh, So if you have not, please... um, Check out Octavia Butler. We've only got a few minutes, and I wanted to share something with you. But before, I want to close out on this um, fixing our politics. If you say you love and engaged in your blackness, you have got to begin to look at models like that which is provided. We've got to bakerize our politics in order to fix them. We've got to educate. We've got to have a vision for educating, organizing, and agitating at the local level where, I mean, if you don't have any children, there are children in your neighborhood who need you. Uh, There are men in our communities and women who need jobs. And in the political spectrum, there are people who are simply playing games because they do not, cannot, will not um, serve our interests. We've got to develop local community conversations uh, about land trust, conservation land trust. We've got to organize to reconstruct and extend the public uh, sector, particularly public finance of community development, as a means of rebuilding the public sector to ensure there's adequate infrastructure to provide quality health care, accessible mass transportation, and decent and affordable public health. I hope that we have given you some stuff to roam around in your brain about your end game, about fixing the politics. And we'll have more about that uh, as time progresses. Um, it's it's really hard to do this show uh, on a weekly basis. But I wanted to share this with you uh, before we leave tonight. And I hope you have a good week. I hope that you find a way to define and structure an end game for you, your family, and our community. (laughs) 
A young slave boy stood one day before the greatest ruler of his day. And God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses said, Lord, only I've got a stick, that's all. He said, well, let me use what's in your hand. And God used that slave boy with a stick in his hand to divide the Red Seas, march through a wilderness, bring water out of rocks, manna from heaven, and bring his people to freedom land. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? George Washington Carver, who was so frail that he was traded for a broken down horse as a slave boy. And George Washington Carver, sitting in the science laboratory at Tuskegee, told me, he said, Dr. Powell, he said, I just go out on the fields each morning at 5 o'clock, and I'll let God guide me. And I'd bring back these little things and work them over my laboratory, and that man did more to revolutionize the agricultural science of peanuts and of cotton and sweet potato than any other human being in the field of agricultural science. What's in your hand? Just let God use you, that's all. What's in your hand? I've got a string in my hand, that's all, and I'm flying a kite. And way up in the heavens, lightning strikes it. And I, Benjamin Franklin, discover for the first time the possibilities of electricity with a string in my hand. What's in your hand? Little hunchback sitting in a Roman jail. I haven't got anything in my hand but an old quill pen. But God says, write what I tell you to write. Paul Roof, I have run my race with patience. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And fought this later on. against his people and his people became free just letting God guide a stone in his hand and a few years passed and David is a king and God says what's in your hand he said I've got a harp in my hand he said well David play on your harp and he played the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want take me to lie down in green pastures leave me beside still waters Yea, though I walk to the valley and the shadow of death, I've been no evil. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Man hanging on a cross. I've got two nails in my hand. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdrawest thyself from me, whither shall I go? And that man with two nails in his hand split history in half, B.C. and A.D., and what's in your hand tonight, people of Cambridge? You've got God in your hand, and he'll let you win, because he's on your side and one with God, always in the majority. So walk with him, and talk with him, and work with him, and stick together, and fight together. And with God's hand in your hand, the victory will be accomplished here sooner than you dreamed, sooner than you hoped, sooner than you prayed for, Sooner than you imagine, good night and God bless you. There is no civil rights movement without the example, the witness of Ella Baker. She's the executive director of Martin King's organization. See, she's the executive director of SNCC. 
the young people who broke away from Martin. Ella's love for people, for black people, working people, poor people, and her deep suspicions of messianic modes of leadership. The charismatic man that people submit to and defer to. She's a Democrat all the way down. She wants all the voices to be heard. And in some ways, she's connected to Occupy. That I point out in Leaderless and Leaderful. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. And uh, I want to thank um, Logan Michelle says that, uh, yes, um, her book club did review the, read the parable of the talents and the parable of the sour. And on February 2nd, they're starting on Paula Giddings' When and Where I Enter. Um, I love book clubs. Uh, I don't know if you belong to one. Uh, I, I, um, you know, when they started writing all this black fiction about love stories and all that stuff, you know, scandal kind of stuff, uh, I dropped out of a book club that I had belonged to for over 20 years because I wasn't going to read that crap. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some people like it. I just don't like it. Um, We want to thank you once again for being with us, and we really do need your help in getting the word out that we're here every Saturday night at 10 p.m. And um, one of the things that I hope that we can do is to support each other in this education. See, I don't I don't think that I'm not entertainment. I I I try to be an educator. Uh this is the way in which I use this platform. There are some people who use this platform to yell at people, uh some people just to have conversations that turn over and over and over and to vent. Uh and there are a lot of ways you can use this platform. I choose to use it as a teaching tool. Uh, Al Michelle Odom is also telling us that the Global Black Feminist Reading Circle can be found on Google+. Have a good week, and we thank you for get, again for being with us. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kissless globe, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace. We, this people, on this moat of matter, in whose mouths abide cankerous words which challenge our existence, yet out of those same mouths can come songs of such exquisite sweetness that the heart falters in its labor and the body is quieted into all. We, this people, on this small and drifting planet, whose hands can strike with such abandon that in a twinkling life is sapped from the living, yet those same hands can touch with such healing, irresistible tenderness that the haughty neck is happy to bow and the proud back 
is glad to bend. Out of such chaos, of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people, on this wayward floating body, created on this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety and without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.